How many of you have paid like seven or eight dollars before and gone to a movie and like halfway through the movie, you're like, man, it's just a bad movie, but you sit through it anyway because you paid the seven bucks. Okay. Most of y'all didn't even put that in the offering today. So if it's, <laughs> so, <laughs> so just sit through the sermon. If you get up, we're all going to think that the sermon had to do with you. So hold your bladders, silence your cell phones, duct tape your mask. It's going to be okay. Okay. And, and, and I love it when you say amen. Just be careful where you say amen at during the sermon, okay? Because <laughs> just, you know, some of you just get too excited to say amen. You just want to make sure. Okay, so we're all on the same page. Ready? Okay, so we're on a series. What's the name of the series, by the way? God's Top Ten. And I'm proving to you that um, we have broken, everybody in here has broken every single commandment. All ten. In fact, the easiest one that I proved was the murder one. Last Sunday, if you were here, we talked about murder. And if there's hatred in your heart... God considers you a murderer. Now, I'm not here to preach about what Myrtle Beach says is right and wrong or society. I'm here to preach what the Bible says is right and wrong, okay? So, just want you to understand, the Bible says, which is the three most powerful words you could ever say, if there's hatred in your heart, you're a murderer because God is a God of hearts, right? So, with each one of the series of the Ten Commandments, I'm giving you one word to help. You can put it up there to help us remember. You can, there you go. To help us remember each one of the commandments, okay? Help us remember. Now, the commandments, you might read it and think, oh, it's easy not to kill. But when you study the Bible, the principle of murder is hatred in a heart. So remember, God's God of hearts. Um, it would be easy if God just judged us by our body. If it was like, well, you're just a body, so whatever you think doesn't matter. Whatever you feel doesn't matter. Whatever you desire doesn't matter. And if your spirit is saved or not, doesn't matter. You're just a body. But we're not. We're three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. And so, even though uh, God does judge us what we do on the outside, He judges our hearts. You can't be bitter, unforgiveness, um, critical, judgmental, jealous, envious on the inside and it not affect you. Okay? So God is a God of hearts. Also, your spirit. You know, your spirit. If it's saved or not, that determines heaven or hell. So we are a spirit, soul, and body. Everybody on that same page? Remember that. What are we? We are a spirit, soul, and body. Okay. Part seven, the word for today is the word intimacy. Because God wants you to have an intimate relationship with the person you're married to and with Jesus. He wants you to have a personal relationship. Uh, he wants you to be intimate, not just in your body, but your spirit and your soul. Okay? Now, uh, the scripture is, the commandment 7, Exodus 20:14, you shall not commit adultery. And this is referring to any sexual morality. We see that in 1 Corinthians 6. Homosexuality. Um, heterosexuality, outside of marriage, masturbation, to pornography, and all, looking at pornography, it's all, all considered um, sexual morality, okay? But here's the thing. We think that it's only a body thing. And it's so funny, the greatest influence in your entire life is people. That's the, nothing influences you more than relationships. That's why God wants to be number one, because He wants to be the greatest influence in our life. People affect you, not just your body, they affect your soul and your spirit. Okay? If someone punches you, does that affect your body? Yes or no? If they hug you, does that affect your body? Yes. If someone affirms you, does that affect your feelings? Yes. If they cuss you out, does it affect your feelings? Yes. Is your mind affected by the people? In other words, right now as I'm talking, is it affecting your mind? Yes or no? Yes. I hope so. Um, so, spirit, uh, soul, and body. So spiritually, spirits are transferable. And I've told you that. It said when Moses laid his hands on the elders, on their forehead, the spirit of wisdom that was in Moses entered into them. If you don't believe spirit's transferable, 
Man, when I was in high school, I had a friend that was a drug dealer, and we went to a concert, and there was like 500 people there, and he was a drug dealer. Within 10 minutes, everybody in that place that needed drugs, somehow they wove through the crowd and found my friend and never even knew him till that night. Here's why. Spirits are attracted to each other. Gossiping spirits love other gossiping spirits. Negative spirits love negative spirits. The opposite's true. A spirit of praise can jump on you from somebody else and praise. You might not feel like praising God, but you come here in church and people are praising God. That spirit affects you, okay? So here's what I want to teach you today. Knowing that the greatest influence in your life is other human being relationships. Knowing that people affect every part of you, spirit, soul, body. The act of sex, which is the greatest and most intimate act between any two people that God created doesn't just affect your body. It affects your soul and your spirit greater than anything else that could ever take place on planet earth. And that's what I want to teach you about today. Okay? So if you're ready, say, oh yeah. I don't think you're ready, but it's going to be fun anyway. (laughs) Not too much fun. (laughs) Okay, number one. Bodily adultery. Now, this is self-explanatory. Bodily adultery. We all know what that is. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says to flee from sexual morality. It doesn't say to move in with sexual morality. It doesn't say watch a movie um, by yourself at your house with sexual morality. It says to flee from it. Here's why. It's the only temptation that God doesn't say stand there and pray and get some accountability partners to pray with you and just believe in faith. It says run, run. Um, referring to bodily sexual adultery... There's a a phrase, it's it's a word called revisionist history. What revisionist history is, it is, and I'm going to say it very bluntly because I'm already going to offend you today, so I might as well just start now. Uh, Revisionist history is when millennials are ignorant enough to believe what people tell them and what they see on TV and internet without researching it for themselves. When I was a teenager, there was a lie going around that the Holocaust never took place that it was something Jews made up for us to feel sorry for them. And there were ignorant teenagers believing that lie. They didn't want to study world history themselves. They just believed it, okay? The lie that we're getting now through revisionist history is through television and movies and music and things like that. Um, We are being told that sex outside of marriage, just casual sex, is a normal thing and it has been for hundreds if not thousands of years that every culture did it, it was just a part of life. Okay, listen, listen, that's a lie. Up until 100 years ago, for the past 6,000 years since Adam and Eve, everybody that had sex, had sex after they were married, they were virgins until they got married, and they stayed married for life. The 1% of cultures, actually it was actually less than 1%, the less than 1% of cultures that ever existed on planet Earth that had sex outside of marriage, they were easily defeated by either war, famine, or poverty. And it happened within three or four generations. So I just want to make sure you understand that what you see on TV, it is not real. That is not what it was like. That was not normal for any human society for the past 6,000 years. Sex before marriage, when you give someone your body, it is like giving away a Rembrandt for a dollar. Now some people, I said, what is a Rembrandt? That's good that you don't know that. Because a Rembrandt is a very, very, very expensive painting. But see, if I showed you different paintings, you couldn't tell me which one's a Rembrandt. But here's somebody gives it to you for a dollar. Okay, listen real close. Whenever something only costs a dollar, you don't value it. You don't protect it. 
You don't love it. You don't watch after it. You think, man, I got this from the Dollar Tree. I can just get another one. Um, I have a comic book. It's the very first appearance of Black Panther ever in a comic book, ever. First appearance. Not only that, but Stan Lee signed it. Not only that, but he signed it the day before he died. And it's witnessed and it's all, it's worth several thousand dollars. It's in a case. I mean, I take it out and I just look at it. It just makes me happy looking at it. It's in the case. I don't let people touch it. I don't let anybody get near it. You know why? It cost me something. It was very valuable, okay? The less somebody has to pay for something, the less protective they are over it. When you give somebody the most intimate thing you have, when you give them the most sacred and valuable thing, which is your body, when you give that to them, you're saying, here's what they're pretty much saying, is, All, I just had to manipulate you a little bit. I sweet-talked it. You were lonely. You felt depressed. And so I very easily got this from you. Because it didn't take me much to get this from you, I don't really value it that much. It didn't cost me anything. I didn't have to go all, I didn't really have to do much. I didn't, have to put, I didn't have to put a ring on the finger. I didn't have to provide. I didn't have to do all these things. I didn't have to lead you in the right direction. I could just say whatever I wanted to say, and you easily got in bed with me. So because it didn't cost me a lot, I don't value it. Now, I'm going to tell you today at the end of the sermon how you can be a virgin again. And it's going to be very exciting, not too exciting. It's going to be really cool. So just stay with me. Don't be discouraged. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Every sin that a man does outside the body, is, every sin that a man does is outside the body. You know, people say, um, sin is sin. And it's true, sin is sin. But there's different consequences for each sin. Of course, sin is sin and we're under the blood, but there's different consequences. You know, people that have casual sex a lot outside of marriage, look at them and listen. They look like they're 20 or 30 years older than what they really are because it affects their own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, honor God in your body. Okay, let me say something. Did God create your body, yes or no? Yes, He formed your body. God formed your sexual parts. It is not a surprise that a man and a woman fit together so perfectly. Um, God was not shocked when sex was very pleasurable. I mean, Adam and Eve picture them there in the garden one day, and Adam looks over at Eve and he whispers and says, I think we got time. You know, real quick, God's not going to be here for another 30 minutes. Come on, let's go. And then God shows up early that day, and God's walking around, and he moves the fig bushes out of the way, and he says, oh, my, me. I cannot believe that you put that there, and you, I did not plan on that happening, and it looks like it feels good. What is wrong with y'all? Did that happen? No. <laughs> oh, my, me. That was funny, wasn't it? Like, oh, my, you know, get it? That was real funny. Okay. God, God was very intentional with how he created us. He was very intentional with the emotions and the feeling and the passion behind it. Listen, the greatest adultery deterrent is a healthy, godly sex life in which both the husband and wife are givers in the bedroom and not takers. And I mean you give and you give and you give. I don't care how long it takes to please that person. I don't care what you've been through that day. I don't care how awful work was. I don't care if you don't feel it or not. Love is doing what's best for someone, whether you feel like it or not. You take care of the kids because you love them. You pay bills and work because you love your family. You clean up because you love them, not because you feel like it. I don't care what you feel like at the end of the day. You give and you give and you give. And you make sure your spouse is satisfied. 
You don't wait for them to beg for it. You don't wait for them to plead and say, I need it. You ask them on a regular basis, can I take care of you? Can I give myself the most intimate thing that any two human beings could ever do? I want to share this with you. I want to take care of you in this area. I want to make sure you are pleased in this area. And ladies, when it comes to your body, never say anything negative about your body. Ever, ever, ever. Oh, I used to be thinner or, or this or that. Don't ever. It doesn't do anything for your husband. It doesn't do anything for you. And if you won't stop saying negative things about your body for your husband, then stop saying negative things about God's creation. Because God created your body. And so when you speak negatively about your body, you're saying, God, you didn't do a good job. I'm not pleased with what you did. You're, you're, you're saying negative things to God. And listen, let me say this. Withholding sex from your spouse is just as serious a sin as looking at pornography. Just as serious. There's no excuse for pornography. There's no excuse for withholding sex from your spouse. None. God is outraged when we do either of the two. And it does not help your relationship at, at, at all. So, number one was bodily adultery. And if you're not offended yet, let's go to number two. Number two is, uh, is soulish adultery. Souls, now, this is where the women really get hit hard. The men get hit hard, and number one, number two is this, and here's why. Matthew 5, 28, whoever looks at someone in lust, remember, we're talking about God's standards of adultery, God's standards. We are so good at, um, at judging people by the out. We are so good at, he drinks, they smoke, and what's wrong with them? They're so, we love judging people on the outside. God's a God of hearts. Whoever looks at someone in adultery has already committed, looks at someone in lust has already committed adultery in their heart. Um, adultery in your mind is just as serious as adultery in your body or sexual morality. Sexual morality in your feelings and when you desire somebody who is not your spouse, it's adultery. Now the word for lust in the original language is epithumio. It means to lust, to have a strong desire, to long for, to crave after. And because it ends with an O, it is a neutral Greek word. It means it can be bad or good. Jesus actually used epithumio. He said, I epithumio to um, eat Passover with my disciples. Strong desire. In other words, men, epithumio your wife, good. Epithumio Sophia Loren, bad. Okay? Or anything else on a computer screen. If you're under 40 years old, you don't get the joke, but it's a really good joke. Um... Ladies, epithumio, your husband, good. Epithumio, the Krispy Kreme hot sign, bad. Okay, that's bad. Just so I, I, didn't, I didn't want to leave you all out. I want you to understand what lust is like when it's bad. It's like that right there. And ladies, your hot sign should always be on. Proverbs 6.25, here we go. For your husband, do not lust, epithumio, after someone in your heart. Whoever commits adultery destroys, now this is so powerful, corrupts, ruins, or rots his own soul, his mind, his will, his emotions, he will never be satisfied. Okay, let me show you this. Whenever you do something outside of God's plan, it feeds, and I, the, the, the biblical word would be demons, but people at uh, Market Common, y'all don't like that word, y'all like the word flesh patterns. That sounds better, so flesh patterns. When you do something fleshly that you're not supposed to do, or whenever there's any kind of demons um, in your life spiritually, it creates a desire for something that you have to keep feeding until God heals it and you get it under discipleship, okay? So when you have sex before marriage or outside of marriage, I want you to understand, you, if you think the Ten Commandments are important, you actually break all ten. You have to lie. Definitely not going to tell your church about it and your pastor and that kind of thing. You have to dishonor your parents, assuming they are godly people. You have to covet something that's not yours. 
You have to remove God as number one, and now you are God in your life because you want something you're not supposed to have, so you've removed God. You are number one. Then you have an idol in your life because that person, what they think, becomes more important than what God thinks about you. I can even tell you how you break the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about trusting God and viewing His plan and relaxing. Listen, that's breaking the Sabbath. You're not trusting God's plan. You want to do it your way and hope somehow that God blesses it and you know that kind of thing. No, you break all Ten Commandments whenever you have sex. Okay, so that desire, that soulish crave, that um, insatiable thirst is not met when you get married. Because the thirst wasn't to obey God and enjoy the pleasure of sex that way. The thirst was to do it outside of God's plan. So once the ring goes on the finger, it does not change your soul. It doesn't magically all of a sudden, oh, now I don't want to lie. Now I don't want to remove God as number one. Now I really, now they're not an idol in my life. I don't have, honor. so what happens is because your soul was craving it so much, now you look for it in other ways. You look for it through pornography. You look through uh, that person that you work with. You look through it through old friends from high school on Facebook. You're trying to feed that, that insatiable thirst that wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. And the more you feed it, the worse it gets. And you're still never satisfied, it says. 2 Corinthians 2.14, having eyes full of adultery. Eyes, remember that phrase. Their appetite for sin is never satisfied. Their hearts are trained. You develop a training session in your heart for this type of lust. You say, well, what is the soul and the eyes? Matthew 6, 23, the eyes are the windows to the soul. Every time you look at something you're not supposed to look at, it affects your soul, your personality, your mind, your will. You don't know how many people I've counseled and talked to that are not in the personality that God gave them to be because of all the past sex partners. Their mind isn't what it's supposed to be, and they don't realize it. Listen, some of you, and I'm going to get ahead of myself spiritually, you never battled certain things until you slept with that person. Some of you never questioned the things of God until you slept with someone who had that same flesh pattern or demon in their life. Some of you never battled hatred, racism, bigotry, I mean, on the list of those, until you slept with the person who had those demons in them. Then when you do it God's way and you leave your father and mother and cleave to your spouse, the blessing is on your life, and so you get to inherit the blessings of that person. Their wisdom connects with yours. Their joy connects with yours. On and on it goes. Oh, no, he goes, okay, so let me tell you a story. Uh, back in the day, the way Eskimos used to kill wolves is they would get this long, sharp blade of a knife, and they would coat it with animal blood and let it freeze. They would make a bloody popsicle. They put more blood on it till there was three or four inches, completely coated and frozen, and the Eskimo would stick the knife, fix it in the ground with the blade up, and just go back home. In the middle of the night, the wolf, with its keen sense of smell, would easily find that bloody popsicle, and begin licking it, and the faster he licked, the more he enjoyed it, and his adrenaline was pumping, and it was satisfying this insatiable thirst, and he did not even realize the point at which his own um, body was scraping against that sharp blade of a knife, and his own blood began to satisfy his thirst, and in the next day, the Eskimo would come walk by, and the, the wolf would be just laying there dead as a doornail. It didn't even realize its own desire was destroying what it was rotting itself. It was killing his own self. And he thought it tastes so good, it feels so good, I want it so bad. And the more he did it, the worse it got until he died. Same thing happens every single time we sleep with somebody. Without, and you say this, well, what is a piece of paper? How does, where is a blessing in a piece of paper? 
in a ring. How does this ring and that piece of paper, how is that a blessing? That's not the blessing. God has the blessing. You don't need a driver's license to drive a car. You don't need a plastic piece of paper with your picture on it to drive a car. You can drive a car without a license. The blessing isn't attached to the license. The blessing is attached in the obedience to God. You may not agree with Myrtle Beach state law that says you have to have a driver's license. You don't have to agree with them. You can drive without it. But if you want to be blessed, whether you agree or like it or not, you obey what the law asks you to do. Okay, you may not understand it, like it, well, we're going to get married tomorrow, or we just want to finish school first, or we just need some extra money, we got to save up and get a house. Here's what you're saying. All of those things hold more value than having God's blessing. I would rather have those things share their demons, get attached to this person, and somehow, somehow it's going to work out great without doing the things we need to do. And I'm going to teach you how to break soul ties. I've gone through inner healing. I've done it. And, I'm going to and you're going to come out great. So 10 more minutes, and you're going to be smiling. See, right now, y'all aren't smiling. You'll be smiling in a second. Number three, <laughs> spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. Okay, spirits are transferable. You have to understand that. If you think that spirits are transferable when you just hang out with somebody, Imagine, and don't imagine too much, uh, if you have sex with somebody, what kind of spirits are transferred and what happens? Ezekiel 16, and I'm going to read you some scriptures from that chapter. It says this, you prostituted yourself because you were not satisfied. Now, first I want you to see prostitution in the Bible isn't just paying someone for sex or having sex for money. It's having sex for anything for yourself. So whether you're lonely, so you have sex with this one. Uh, you don't feel like you're pretty, so you try to have sex with this one. Uh, you can't live by yourself, so you, uh, whatever reason, it's prostitution. Okay. You prostituted yourself because you weren't satisfied. No one forced you. You didn't get paid. You gave yourself to your lovers. Because of this, I will bring all your former lovers together, the ones you liked and the ones you hated. I will condemn you for adultery. Now, here's the big scripture. I will put you in their power. They will cut you to pieces with their swords. Why? Above everything else, why did you add sexual immorality to the things you did? Something happens in the spirit realm. A legal right. Demons are always looking for a legal right. Always looking for a legal right. They can't wait for a legal right to affect your life. Now, I'm not saying that you lose your salvation. We are saved by grace and thank God we are saved by grace. But there are things that you can do that do affect your spirit man. Uh, Genesis 2.24 says this. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. And the original King James was cleave. Cleave. Actually, the original marriage vow said you promise to leave and cleave only to your wife. But joined, we're going to say, to his wife. And they shall become one. Okay. The word join here, or cleave, or anything in your translation, is the Hebrew word kola, which means to glue or cement together. Every time you have sex, it's not just a bodily thing. It's not just a soulish thing. You know, you're looking at a computer or whatever you're doing, or connected with a person emotionally or in your mind. It's a spiritual thing. It connects you to that person. And every time you have sex with them outside of God's blessing, which is marriage, a piece of you, a piece of your personality, a piece of your God-given talents, a piece of your God-given desires, the healthy desires in you, a piece of you is broken off 
And it is connected to that person. And until you break the soul tie, which I'm going to teach you, that person is carrying around a piece of you, and you're carrying around a piece of that person. And you were never meant to carry around a piece of that person until you're married to them. Let me show you this scientifically, and you moms are going to love this point. Oxytocin is the bonding hormone scientifically. This bonding hormone that scientists can't even explain how it bonds you to somebody, it happens when men have sex, and it happens when women have sex. It bonds you. And even though the bodily part of it is over and you walk away, there's still a bonding. Okay. The only other time that this hormone is released is when a woman breastfeeds her child. It connects her to that child on a level that is unexplainable. Am I right? I'm just going by what I've heard and studied. And it connects you to them so much so that the father can't understand it. And people, if they haven't ever done it, they can't understand it. There's just some type of a spiritual connection between you and that child. And you love that child. And it bonds you and you want to protect them and take care of them the rest of their life. But I'm going to teach you do you know how you can find out when your child began having sex or indulging in any type of sexual immorality? It's when they left in the Spirit. And you sensed, you were bonded to that child all through elementary school and middle school, and then something you can't even, you, you can remember that within a two or three week period, when you became unbonded with that child, they still lived with you, their body was there, they lived in the house, but there was a, 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 a concreting that they had with something else because you cannot cleave until you leave. You have to leave in order to cleave. You can't be joined to somebody without leaving somebody else. 1 Corinthians 6.15 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Am I to take a member of Christ and join him to someone that just wants casual sex or someone that wants sex before marriage? Certainly not. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to somebody like that is one body with them. <clears throat> For even the Bible says, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Every time you have sex outside of marriage, listen, the connection you had with the Spirit of God becomes broken. Just a little bit more, and, look, and you kid yourself, and you try to think in your head, well, I'm going to do some good things to make up for it. I want that bonding back. So I'm going to come to church a few times, or I'm going to remember I'm going to be a short. I'm going to do something good, and I'll give in the offering and that kind of thing because I want that bonding back. I want the bonding back I had with the Lord, and you kid yourselves, and you think it's there, and it's not there because you haven't broken the soul ties. In fact, whenever husband and wife, whenever they, one of them, and mainly the guy, looks at pornography or things like that, <clears throat> there's an unbonding with him and his wife, and so he will go overboard and try to connect emotionally, buy her things, do things for her, all this kind of stuff because he knows there was an unbonding. And you got to break it in the spirit realm. And so we have this thing. So we spend the rest of our life trying to bond with God and bond with our spouse without doing the things we need to do to break it off from the other people. Because every time you cleaved, you had to leave. Every single time. Now, here's five minutes of the best news you've heard your whole life. Okay? Time me. Um, there was a man in the Bible who committed adultery and murder. And I don't just mean emotionally even though it's all the same, I don't just mean in his heart, I mean his body. He killed and he um, had adultery. And it says in Acts 13, 22, I have found David to be a man after my own heart. Everybody say deliverance. deliverance. Okay. He 
does everything I want him to do. Everybody say discipleship. Okay, that's the two points for how you break the spirit. Now listen, I'm going to read you. I'm going to tell you there's points, okay? There's six ways to break the soul ties of your former sex partners through deliverance and discipleship. There's six points. When I meet with people, and listen, I've gone through this. I spent months in inner healing, months, months. You don't even realize how much in bondage you are until you begin to break the soul ties with the people you've slept with in the past or the things you've done or whatever. Okay, I'm going to taste it. But don't you dare come to me crying, and I have a problem in my marriage, and I spend a minute. If you won't do all six points, you can't do three, you can't do four, you can't do five. You have to do all six. If you don't do six, you'll go back into that habit and you'll continue to let your soul rot away. You have to do six, not just three or four or five, six, okay? The first three points are deliverance because God can, God can make you a virgin again. Can he heal someone's body? Yes. He can heal your, your sexual parts physically. He can heal your soul, your mind, your emotions, and he can renew your spirit. So don't leave this place thinking you're going to go back to your old ways and be the person you were and connected all these former sex partners. No, you can be free. So don't you leave this place condemned, okay? Number one, you've got to understand salvation. You have to. You have to. If you're not, the, the hardest thing on planet earth is trying to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You've got to be saved. Read every scripture in the Bible on salvation or purchase my hell no book in the cafe because there's a chapter on salvation. And it tells you every single detail so you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved. Okay? you got to be saved. Nothing works unless you're saved. Number two, you break the soul ties with all of your past sex partners and any immorality through biblical prayer. Here's what I mean. You take everyone before God and you don't do it in your mind. You pray out loud and you say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that girl from 12th grade, I don't even remember her name. You don't got to remember their names. You just bring it up. God knows who you're talking about. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I ask right now that you break all ties between me and that person. Um, I ask that you, you bind all any demons or any soul flesh patterns that were connected between us. You send them back to hell where they belong. And I uncement, I unglue in Jesus' name any tie between me and that person. And if you were molested, same thing. You break all soul ties. You were um, uh, with um, pornography, you break it all. In Jesus' name, I break everything that my eyes have seen they shouldn't have seen. I break every spirit that's in my mind. In the name of Jesus, I, I, I disconnect all ties between me and that person or that thing or whatever it was. And you do it through biblical prayer. And listen, number three, you repent and never talk about it again. Do not tell your spouse, remember when you did this? No. If your spouse has repented and they've broken that tie, do not bring it up ever again ever if you're fighting if you bring it up it's back to being tied our words have incredible power incredible okay that's the three points for deliverance you can't disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh that's why you got to have discipleship you cannot disciple that you can cast out a demon and you can you can uh you can be discipled in your flesh but you can't disciple a demon and cast out the in other words you have to have both you can't leave here, well, I'm free spiritually. Oh, thank God, I'm delivered. And then just think that life's going to just, you know, magically be great. You have to be discipled. And here's how, number four. You join a local church and you deeply, deeply is the key word, commit to serve that church together. When you've battled um, sexual morality for a long time, you can't be, um, um, uh, you can't be um, still and just doing nothing. You can't be idle. You've got you to you gotta always, who can I serve? 
Who can I help? Uh, is there something at church that needs to be done? Can I cut the grass? Can I wash somebody's car? Um, is there a, a widow in the church who I can bring food to? I can do their lawn. What can I do today? When you get off work, you can't sit there. This is what happens. When you get discouraged or depressed, you run to that wrong refuge. You run to Krispy Kreme. You know, when, you get, when you're lonely, you run to that Krispy Kreme hot sign or whatever it is. You always, so whenever you get that place, you've got to do something with somebody that disciples your flesh. Serve church together. Not Sunday morning. I mean, you're deeply committed. Not, oh, we went to church today. No, you serve, serve, serve. Number five, you daily eat of his word. Now, I want to tell you something, and I'm about done. Nowhere in the Bible does it say read the Bible. I just want you to know that. Nowhere in the Bible that I've ever found does it say to read the Bible. Okay? It says meditate on the word. That word meditate means you chew up. It means you decipher it. It means you memorize it. It means you pray it. You sing it. You worship to it. You say it out loud. You read it backwards. Whatever it is, you get it inside of you. You talk about it. You spend time with people talking about it. You do whatever it takes to get it in you. You don't just, oh, read. Oh, I read the Bible. I don't understand anything it said, but I read it, so I hope God's happy with me now. No, you find even if it's one proverb, you think about it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Here's why. Your mind, your will, and your emotions have been damaged. And they got to be restored. Number six, and this is the important one. And this is actually the one that, I don't know why, but I can't beg people to do this. I can't pay them to do this. You have a long talk with your spouse on how you can serve them better sexually. I mean a long talk. And you are, and it's a no holds barred, we're going to be free, and we're going to talk about it, and no one's going to get their feelings hurt. If I tell you you need to shower better, I'm going to say it in love because I want to please you, but you need to shower better. If you need to start talking nicer to me during the day, because you, you expect something at night and you don't affirm me during the day, I need this from you. You have to talk about it. You have to. It needs to be just, uh, just sit down and, and no one should ever have to beg the other for sex. Ever. They should never have to ask twice. Ever. You should actually be offering it on a regular basis. Oh, and I'm done almost. One more scripture. Psalms 19.7. The word of the Lord is perfect and it is restoring your soul. Okay, your soul's been damaged. Your soul's been damaged. It doesn't say it restores it and you're done. You leave church today, you're restored. It's a restoring. It has to be over and over and over and over and over again. You eat it, you feed on it, you listen to it. And you're in your car, you have to continually. Here's why you'll never be a whole person without this. Never. This is the only thing that can put you back together. 